Yeah, I, uh, I saw a curtain move probably about 100 yards away at a building that was adjacent to ours and kind of drew down on that, expecting that's where the shot was coming from. And in reality, it was about 90 degrees offset from a completely different direction. And as soon as I drew down on that guy, the whole world basically went dark. An excerpt from today's guest, who's co-written about his brush with death in Afghanistan and the photo of that moment that circled the globe. Marine Sergeant Bill B. is here. I'll speak with him right after this break. I'm Robert Child, and this is Point of the Spear. We've launched a new Point of the Spear Originals video series on our YouTube channel. In the first episode, Lincoln's Last Hours is streaming now. Few Americans alive today are unaware that our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, was assassinated while in office. It has been a part of American history textbooks for generations. But unanswered questions and little-known facts about his final hours remain, which are both revealing and disturbing. And it has been contended by forensic anthropologists that the president was actually dying months before the fatal shot, which ended his life. Click the link in this episode's description to check it out. Welcome back. And before we get into the show, remember to click that follow button on the podcast. It helps more military history lovers find our program. And thank you. Today's guest enlisted in the Marine Corps in 2000 and served four years with Lima Company, 3rd Battalion, 6th Marine Regiment, as an infantry rifleman. He completed multiple deployments to Afghanistan and one to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. His co-written book with Wills Robinson is called The Shot, The Harrowing Journey of a Marine in the War on Terror. And U.S. Marine and author Bill B. joins us now. Bill, welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me on. It's an honor, sir. And uh, I wanted to ask you, before we got into the book, about your military background. Do you come from a military family? Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's not a family of careerists. It's more of a family of, you know, I don't care if you're doing two years, four years, or 20 years. You know, you, you're expected to serve in some way, shape, or form. doesn't matter if it's the Marines or the National Guard, you know. Really? Is your family... Uh, Marines, or are they in all the services? Oh, it's all the branches. When did you uh, enter the Marines? Uh, I went to boot camp in June of 2000. I joined uh, the summer in between my junior and senior year. And when did you uh, come back from the war? Uh, Well, it depends on which deployment you're talking about. Uh, I ended up getting out in 2013, though. Okay. Yeah, your your last deployment. That's what we can talk about later. I'm going to bring you back to that day, uh, the day of the shot. And it was a quiet day from what I understand because I watched a, another podcast where you were interviewed and you said you were actually doing your laundry. Could you? <laughs> yeah, I had, uh, I had just got off of uh, SOG, Sergeant of the Guard, and uh, my guys were in the process of getting off post. And yeah, I'd, uh, I was in some... Uh, <laughs> I was in a pair of camis that I had been wearing for about three weeks straight. You know, I was getting to the point where they could pretty much stand up on their own. So, you know, get the old bar of soap and a old water pump and rusty bucket. That's the way you get the laundry done. And that's yeah. basically what I was doing. Yeah. And now you were, but your senses were on high alert, right? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, the area that we were in, Garmser, 
for the first couple months of that deployment, that was that was an extremely kinetic environment. Uh, it was basically three firefights a day, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating on that. It was one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and one at night. It's like the Taliban was timing that. Um, wow. But, uh, you know, all the times that we were getting engaged there, you're talking anywhere from 400 to 600 meters, and, you know, they do the typical Taliban shooting the AK above their head kind of thing. So, you know, AKs only accurate up to 300 yards. That's not that's not a bad firefight to be in, you know, so not really worrying us. But that day, we'd actually got word that the Taliban had moved a marksman into the area. Uh, our radio battalion had intercepted that. And when, when the single shot went off at my post, that's what kind of concerned me. You know, it wasn't, you know, a burst from an AK or whatever. So that's that's actually when I went over to check on him. And uh, he was good and everything. Uh, I saw Goran fiddling around with his camera, you know, Goran Tomasevic, the photographer. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, uh, I saw a curtain move probably about 100 yards away at a building uh, that was adjacent to ours and kind of drew down on that, uh, expecting that's where the shot was coming from. And in reality, it was about 90 degrees offset from a completely different direction. And as soon as I drew down on that guy, the whole world basically went dark. Right, right. And and the photographer snapped the shot. I'll get to the the photographer in a second. But you weren't hit by the shot, but you were knocked out. And they wanted to evacuate you. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it was, um, from what I understand, the way the corpsman explained it to me, our doc, it was a combination of like the round and a bunch of rocks just skipped up and tagged me in the head. And that's basically what knocked me out. Um, I don't remember any of that. Like I remember waking up strapped to a uh, stretcher, uh, smoke all around, just waiting for the Kazavak bird to come in. And I was a uh, squad leader. We only had three squads in our platoon. And I definitely didn't want to leave my boys behind because we were short enough on bodies. So I was able to talk my platoon sergeant, uh, Gunny OJ, and, uh, you know, not cast back at me. Hey, man, I'm good. Don't worry about it. You know, just a headache kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And they uh, they kept you there. But did you have trouble afterwards? Uh, I mean, did you, did your head hurt or did you have to go into some kind of medical aid after that? No, not really. I mean, it was, we were still pretty much in the fight pretty well. So it was more of a case of, hey, I'm just going to chew on some Tylenol and, uh, you know, we'll deal with this whenever we get back to the States. I didn't, I really didn't think there was any lasting issue Mm -hmm. at first. I didn't realize that until later on down the road. I hope you're enjoying this episode. Next time, author Andrew Dubbins will be here to talk about the World War II demolition divers who became the Navy SEALs. The tactics that they borrowed from the UDTs and Draper Kaufman were swimming in stealth and underwater demolition, secret deployments. You know, Draper's credo was never leave a man behind, which the the SEALs still follow. To this day, the the old guard of the SEALs called Draper the Grand Pappy Bullfrog. Another program you won't want to miss. And before we get back to the conversation, if you're enjoying this story from the war in Afghanistan, be sure to check out our earlier program, 
Leave No Man Behind, the untold story of the Rangers' unrelenting search for Marcus Luttrell with Dr. Tony Brooks. Just less than 24 hours before we were on the helicopter, we had just lost, we knew we lost a helicopter that was carrying 16 men. We were expecting the worst and we were angry. You know, who, who dare attack us? That was our kind of our thought. And this time it was really close to home in the special operations community. We were pretty pissed off. We were ready to fight. It's episode 103 from season one, and you'll easily find it in our past programs. Introduce us to the photographer who took the photograph because uh, he was uh, embedded and uh, he was a pretty seasoned uh, photog and uh, he was very excited about the photo when he took it. Uh, so introduce us to him. Goran Tomasevic has got to be one of the goofiest dudes I've ever met. <laughs> and I mean, he's he's probably got more combat experience than any 10 uh, operators that I know, you know. But, uh, and I mean, you got to be kind of special to be running around an environment like that with no peace. You know, you just got a camera and that's it. And we'd actually had one in bed prior to him. Uh, didn't really impress us much because this guy did the assault with us at night via Hilo. Didn't even last the full day before he requested to get back sent back or get sent back to Kandahar. So that kind of put a bad taste in our mouth when it came to uh, reporters. But when we went to pick up Gorin, I think we were already like a month in. And we were all run out of cigarettes, tobacco, anything you could you could ask for. And as soon as we went to pick him up, Gorn knew exactly how to get into our hearts. He just started pulling out cartons of stateside cigarettes, you know? <laughs> hey, who wants some? So, I mean, I'm a sucker for a bribe when it comes to cigarettes, <laughs> especially in Helmand Province. Yeah. Uh, so he got, he got in pretty well with us as soon as he met. And he was just overall a great guy. You know, it doesn't matter if he's talking to a PFC or if he's talking to Lieutenant Colonel, he treats them all the same. And, you know, you get that impression that he actually gave a rip about the guys, you know, and that's and that that alone is something special. We'd had NPR before that, and we were really impressed with those guys. Um, But, yeah, when that went down, it turned out that he wasn't. He didn't mean to actually take those series of photos. Essentially what he was doing was he had a new lens that he was testing and he didn't even realize that the camera was set on sequence shots. So when I drew down on the guy in the building, uh, he just started snapping photos and just through a miracle, you know, just happened to hit it at the right time. And when I got pulled off the stretcher and, you know, telling everybody I'm good, I'm just sitting there munching on Tylenol and Gorn comes over with this big old grin on his face. He's like, you know, Sergeant B, Sergeant B, you got to see what I've got. And uh, he, he showed me, he's like, yes, this is very good. This only happened one time before and that guy died. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad I made it then. Uh you know, I told him, I was like, look, man, you know, if anything ever comes about this, you know, you get Pulitzer or something like that, you got to give me a heads up. He's like, oh, I would not get Pulitzer. I, I am Serbian. Not going to happen. <laughs> okay, man. But, uh, yeah, he sent those pictures out that night. 
And by the next day, we had got a call from Marine Corps Public Affairs Office trying to see if I was cool with releasing my name and all that. This was a low point in the war where um, it wasn't that popular. And they wanted to show, obviously, our, our men on the front lines. How far around the globe did that photograph circle? Oh, basically everywhere. Um, <laughs> we had, uh, when we were relieved by the British, they brought a bunch of their magazines and stuff like that. They had them all in those. Uh, but the funniest one was a year later, year and a half later, when we were in Marja, uh, I met up with one of the local Afghan National Army guys. Mm. And he actually had a video on his cell phone. It was a, uh, you know, it was like a Taliban motivational video kind of thing of them like ambushing U.S. troops and stuff. And they had those series of photos in it. And I just thought it was hilarious because they were portraying like I'd got killed or something. Oh, I see. I see. That's crazy. I understand also uh, the photographer asked your permission to share that photo at first. He did. I mean, of course, like, you know, his photo, his camera, his rights, he's he's more welcome to whether I said yes or no. Right. Uh, the yeah. only thing I'd asked him was, look, man, before you release my name or anything like that, just let me call the wife because she was seven months pregnant at the time. And I knew as soon as that thing went out that she was going to be a little stressed. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, the way we were working is. You know, we were going house to house. We didn't work out of a big fob where we had, you know, phones and email and all that stuff. Like we had one satellite phone for the entire company. Wow. So you would get one. Yeah, you'd get one 15 minute phone call a week uh, home. And so <laughs> I got to use uh, the company phone and man, the uh, the wife pretty much ripped me apart from about, you know, 5000 miles away saying, I don't care if you're going to the bathroom, I don't care if you're standing post or, you know, whatever, taking a shower, you're wearing your gear the rest of the time. So Very smart, very smart. <laughs> and speaking about the home front, after your last deployment and when you went home for the last time, how was your adjustment back to civilian life? It was, I had a, I had a really rough transition because um, the deployment after that one, when we did March in 2010, uh, it was literally like our last week of being there. I walked my squad into a building that was, it was rigged with IEDs uh, in the walls instead of the floor. And so we had no idea they were there. Uh, and it Kazabacked half by squad, uh, killed two fellow sergeants. It was, I was in a pretty bad spot um, when we got back. And I did another three years teaching corpsmen at one of their schools. But I, if it wasn't for the wife, I don't know if I would have. In fact, I know I wouldn't have made it through that time frame. Yeah, yeah. Needed it's like that. a care bear on caffeine. It's insane. Yeah, you needed that support. That's for sure. The The book itself, you go into this. It's, it's quite a personal book. Um, is that the book you started out to write? Uh well, initially, I didn't even go out to write a book. Um, basically, what had happened was after I had gotten out in 2013, I'd been approached by, you know, different 
journalists before about doing an article on the photo and stuff like that. And, you know, I've, I'm an introvert. I really, I don't like talking to people. Sure. But uh, Wills Robinson, the guy who assisted me in writing the book, the other author, uh, he actually wrote me a handwritten letter. You know, I sat on it for a couple months, but I thought it was crazy because somebody actually wrote me a handwritten letter in, you know, 2013. Yeah. But he was asking, you know, not just can I do an article with you? It was more along the lines of how you doing, how's the family, that kind of stuff. But I started having some real issues with the VA, then not uh, helping out with my care. And, you know, there was finally a straw that broke the camel's back. And, you know, I called up Wills. I was like, look, man, I'll be more than willing to talk to you about everything. And I will be completely honest. You know, it doesn't matter if we're talking about command, doesn't matter if we're talking about my squad, the VA, whatever. Yeah, I will be 100% honest with you. You know, no holds barred. Um, and that article actually turned out really well. And probably three or four years later, that's when Wills had approached me. He's like, you know, maybe we should look at doing a book about this. Mm. I told him that's fine. You know, I'm I'm all about it. You know, I'm, I'm going to need somebody to translate from, you know, grunt speak to normal speak. But uh, <laughs> and he did a great job on that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I encourage everyone to go out and get the book. The book is called... The Shot, The Harrowing Journey of a Marine in the War on Terror. Bill, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, I really appreciate it, man. I, I appreciate you hitting me up about this. Absolutely, sir. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for joining me. Next time, author Andrew Dubbins will be here to talk about the World War II demolition divers who became the Navy SEALs. The tactics that they borrowed from the UDTs and Draper Kaufman were swimming in stealth and underwater demolition, secret deployments. You know, Draper's credo was never leave a man behind, which the, the SEALs still follow. To this day, the, the old guard of the SEALs called Draper the Grand Pappy Bullfrog. Another program you won't want to miss. And if you like what you hear, leave a review or a rating or just click the follow button. And be sure to check out our Point of the Spear YouTube channel with bonus video material plus full military history documentaries. There's tons to explore, and I hope you check it out. I'm Robert Child, and this has been Point of the Spear. Music licensed from Audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.